0: Come on, get your Bibles out and open it up to the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to be reading from Matthew's Gospel here in just a moment, some familiar passages. In fact, these last few weeks we've been reading a number of familiar passages, I suspect to many of you, and sometimes the familiar ones are the most impactful ones, which is why they are familiar. But then they get familiar, and for some reason, out of that familiarity, we just lose what it is that Jesus or the writers of Scripture are trying to speak to us. So, Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to be reading in just a moment. I did not intend here at the first of the year for uh, the series that has now been developing. Uh, we've just sort of had it happen. The Lord's been talking to us about what it means to be a passionate inviter. And what I mean by that is is that, you know, I pretty much recognize that that everyone can't be, so to speak, a soul winner. Now, I know there would be some that would take me to task on that statement and probably debate me on it. I guess my point that I'm trying to make is this, that not everyone feels equipped or trained or has the ability perhaps to lead someone from a moment of being unsaved through uh, the understanding of what Christ has done to a place of being converted or to being a Christian. Now, maybe they ought to know that, But some people have a real struggle and a challenge doing that. Having said that, I believe that whether or not you feel adept at that or whether you feel trained at that, one thing I can assure you of, and that is all of us, all of us, yea, three times I will say, all of us can be passionate inviters because we're all called to witness our faith. And so we've been talking about that, and I believe that the Holy Spirit's rekindling Some of our burden in this regard and and rekindling our zeal with regards to these things. And so I have another familiar parable, so to speak, that Jesus mentions. It's an illustration from Jesus today concerning what I know will be familiar to you, salt and light. Now, last week I had a farm story. So I figured as long as we're on the farm, we'll stay there for a while. Yay, <laughs> that had to have come from Jeremiah Farms out there, I suspect. I have two, well, I have a lot of great memories, but there are two real specific memories that I have from my days on the farm. I don't know that I've ever mentioned these two before, but there are two things I can remember doing with great uh, uh, faithfulness and also with great, um, you know, diligence all the time you had to do it. Number one was you had to put out salt blocks for your cattle. Has anybody ever seen a salt block for like a, a farm animal? Look at it, all of you had because you know they're about yay big. And, and basically they lick these big salt blocks. And uh, what that does is, is that they need sodium. They, they may not get sodium any other way, and although you know, lots of salt may not be good for you. Some salt is necessary for you and for animals uh, with which to survive and even to retain water. And it keeps things, especially in that animal, from deteriorating. So salt, it's not just for taste. A lot of us like to salt our food, and it has sort of a nice taste to it. But salt is necessary uh, with regards to uh, keeping things from deteriorating and preserving things. Now, the second thing I also remember is that when it would get dark in the country now i grew up in the city i have ostensibly lived in urban areas and you don't understand this unless you're a real country folk now some of you may have grown up in the country some of you may still live in the country and and when i'm talking about country i'm just not talking about john's island country i'm talking about country country you get out in country country and it just plain old gets dark Have you never been out in the country when it just gets dark, where, where you're going down a country road and the darkness just seems to envelop your headlights? Have you ever been there? And it's almost like you've got to run with your high beams on because it's just so dark. And so growing up on a farm, I mean, it got, it got dark. And there are sounds in the dark. Nothing that you hear during the day, but you'll hear anything and everything in the dark. Everything from locust. If you've never heard locusts in the trees at night, it's a sound in fact it's almost when you first go to the farm, it's almost noisier than the city. But then you get used to it. It's like my wife's sound machine now. You have this automatic sound machine that takes place with this buzz, or you hear the or you hear the lids clanging from the from the hogs eating, you know, feed there in the middle of the night from their feeder. But, but I don't want to get off the beaten path here. Um, but dark, I mean, it gets super, super dark. And so a lot of times they'll put up this one, one light pole. And what I was just thinking about is I was just reflecting back to the concept of light. You know, when it's that dark, uh, one little light can go a long way when it's that dark. I remember one morning getting up, and uh, it was my job uh, when I was with my uh, grandparents to drive to my uncle's farm. I stayed with my grandparents, and my car was kept in, in a barn. And I remember one morning you got up before, you know, you used to say we got up before the rooster crowed. You really do on the farm. And, um, and I remember it was still dark, and I went into the barn, and it was just at a perfect moment when the sun was beginning to rise, and, and the barn had uh, holes in it. And I remember, for whatever reason, it was it was just timed perfectly as I entered into the barn because it just was impressed upon me in in such a an amazing way that the sun, the rising of the sun, uh, and my eyes and that hole all were in a trajectory that was at exactly the same place, and it was like this beam of light came into that barn. And of course, there's hay in the barn and there's these dust particles in the barn. And there was like this mini light show that began to take place in the barn that morning. And what was so amazing about it, as I thought about it later, wasn't the fact that the barn had this, you know, uh, uh, you know, manufactured light in it. It was the sun was just shining through this hole and this hole just conduited the light and it went into this dark barn and there was this incredible light show that began to take place that literally just sort of made the barn this kaleidoscope, so to speak, of of light. And I started thinking about that. And I thought to myself one more time, just one little light hole if the sun shines through it can make an incredible difference in a dark barn. Are you getting where I'm going? Sometimes, I don't know about you, I feel like I'm just this one little light hole living in a really dark barn. And it just doesn't seem like much is going on by way of impact. But I want you to be encouraged this morning. One little light hole that the sun shines through can make an incredibly dark barn a kaleidoscope. I think that's what Jesus was trying to communicate in some ways as he was dealing with You know, basically an agricultural culture. As he began to preach to them out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and he begins to talk about salt and light. And I simply entitled the message today, Would someone please pass the salt? Please pass the salt. Matthew 5.13, familiar passage, it says, You, everyone say that means me. Come on, that means us. You are the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its flavor how shall it be seasoned now you ought to underline this in your bible it is then good for nothing you know that's not emphasized much is it if salt loses its ability to be salty it is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men he then goes on to say you everyone say that's me Yeah, you, us, we are the light of the world. You say, well, I thought Jesus was the light of the world. Yeah, but you're that little hole in the barn through which the sun shines through. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Could you please pass the salt? Jesus is speaking in what most folks consider to be the greatest sermon that's ever preached. Now, it's not exactly like a sermon you might hear today, but with what he says, and at the time it was spoken, everyone pretty much acknowledges that it was probably the greatest message that was ever preached, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount. The sermon is approximately three chapters long, and it touches on a number of subjects, mostly dealing with some aspect of ethic or some aspect of morality. Uh, But here, as he's in the middle of all this moral, ethical teaching, he begins to speak on the subject we've been dealing with these last several weeks here at Legacy, and that is what is our response going to be to the world around us? We have this ethic... We have this morality, we're being exhorted by the Savior to live in certain ways, so what should our response now be to those that we're interacting with in the world? You see, the objective for his followers is not to isolate, but to infiltrate. We were never meant to just, just disengage or to withdraw, but we were meant as believers to engage. That's why we're called an army, the army of God. In fact, interestingly enough, uh, we are really called to be on the offense, really never on the defense. See, we're called to crash the gates of hell. We're not just called to hold the fort. And, And so Jesus is beginning to put these concepts out to the people who are listening to him and telling them, especially those that are following him, that you have a certain responsibility with which you are to engage or infiltrate the world. Now, you and I... Uh, for better or worse, are living in an era that has no moral bearing. I was reading recently. it might have been posted through Facebook somehow. It came from The Huffington Post. I was reading though an article on what they now call the millennial generation uh, i 'm not sure I, in fact i 'm kind of in this unusual age i 'm not sure if i 'm a boomer or if i 'm a breaker or you know there 's all sorts of generations, and now they 're calling another generation a millennial generation which if I understand this correctly, uh, it's the generation of probably mid-20s to maybe the mid-30s, calling them the millennial generation, and maybe even a little younger than that. Um, But according to the article, it said that they are leaving church by the droves. And the reason, according to the article, is that they are unsure of spiritual things. They are especially skeptical of any spiritually dogmatic morality. You say, what does that mean? It means this: if you tell them how they should live, in particular sexually, they don't like that. They just don't like that. They don't want to be told how to how to function with regards to their sexual activity or sexual expression. And because of that, and and again, I'll get to some reasons here in just a moment. But they aren't as a a group millennials as a group, aren't ready to be tied to anything with any sense of certainty. Which is why they are drawn, and and again, I hate throwing out names, but I'll just do it for lack of clarity, you know, for I don't want you to be unclear. But the reason they're drawn to people that are in emerging church circles are people like Rob Bell, who wrote the book Love Wins, and he asks a thousand great questions, never giving us any answers, they love that because they, they live with this uncertainty and they, they just believe that uncertainty probably is the best way to go. And so since they live in uncertainty, then, then of course you can't evaluate because you can't be certain of your evaluations. You certainly couldn't judge because there's no judgment that could take place because there's no certainty. And so who's to say who gets to go to heaven and who goes to hell because there's really no certainty. And so you can begin to see how all of that sort of appeals to them or appeases them and how when you come and you make the simple statement that jesus said when he said i am the way the truth and the life and no man comes to the father except through me you see that's pretty dogmatic isn't it i mean that's pretty certain and so you can begin to see why there could be this clash that begins to take place culturally Uh, that's going on even in the world as we know it. Now listen, you know, we look at that generation and of course we can see the faults, we can see the difficulties, but they didn't get there on their own. Understand, they were raised by a generation. So some of the things that they saw, in particular my generation, because my oldest son is 26, uh, Tyler is what, gonna be 24. My daughter's 16. So all of these would fit probably in the general category of millennials. But, but my generation, uh, the boomers in particular, raised them. And so what happened, and I'm just giving you a dot connecting moment, is that they watched the inconsistencies of our generation. They watched where our generation landed. They watched our decision-making process. They watched our relativism. They watched us maybe saying one thing out loud, but another thing behind closed doors. And and, and they said, well, if this is how it is, then why should I be certain about anything? See, our generation used to be, you know, the generation of drugs, sex, and rock and roll. And now we're the generation of nip, tuck, and Botox. See, see, they see our sins, and they have questions. But here's the deal. If the church is to go forward, then we're going to have to take care of some issues in our lives and begin to realize that we are being called to engage a generation. Yes, the generation that's our friends and our peers, and I'm talking about me, but as well as the millennial generation and every generation that's coming in behind them. And we must begin to engage them with the truth of the gospel. And Jesus is giving us a word picture here as to how some of that is going to take place. And he gives us two words. He says, I'm calling you salt and I'm calling you light. Why would he do that? It's very easy. Here's the answer. The world is dark and decaying. It's dark and decaying. It needs salt and it needs light. This has always fascinated me, that despite all of our knowledge and all of our learning and all of the technology that we have, all of the access you and I now have to information, do you realize that on your phone, most of your phones, and we're going to fix your phone here, honey, real soon, because I lived for years, you know, I had a flip phone for years, man, I was, and then that became dinosaurish. But now I got me a new phone, you know, that I can, it's on the glass and you can make it sweep and do all kinds of things. And, and uh, it's, yeah, it's great. I can be anywhere now. It used to be, I had to figure out how to get my laptop on an airplane in order to access the internet when I got wherever I was to a hotel. I don't have to worry about that anymore. I just get my phone and I got one of those Evo shifts and you can just do all those things. And I'm not as good with my thumbs as my daughter and my, my boys are. I'm kind of still the, But it's amazing. Think about that. How amazing that is. And we have access to information at the drop of a hat. And is it not interesting that technologically and knowledge wise and learning, we are probably or supposedly as smart as we have ever been as, as a race of people, as humanity as a whole. There's never been a time that we've had more at our fingertips. And yet is it not also interesting that our culture is spiraling ever more out of control? We're smarter and all we're doing is going down the hill faster. The riots in Egypt and in Greece are but preludes to what could indeed happen if we don't get our act together here in America. The economy spiraling, wars constantly. Is there any doubt in anyone's mind to man's depravity? You know, every now and then I'll still hear someone say that they think man is basically good. Well, what cave have you been in? Have you not watched the news? Have you not read the newspaper? Have you not seen man left to himself? will spiral into depravity. And, and, and not every depravity is, is measured by your measuring stick. Depravity means simply selfishness. We spiral. In fact, it's interesting um, because we were the other night at a Barnes and & Noble and we were just wandering some shelves. We were some friends at a Barnes & Noble And uh, I was wandering a shelf, and I ran into some books on the Titanic. And the Titanic's always been interesting to me for a couple different reasons. But it reminded me how there in about 19, I think it was 13 or 18, somewhere in there, when the Titanic sunk, it was called the Golden Era. And the Titanic was built technologically in the day where they believed that nothing could sink the ship. Was, it was, technologically, they said, it doesn't matter what happens to this ship, it will not sink. And of course, you know the story. The story was that uh, it hit an iceberg. In fact, many people don't know that engraven on the bow of the ship was literally the words from one of the shipbuilders, not even the power of God can sink her. Yeah, I wouldn't put that on your car or boat <laughs> or anything you're fixing to get on. I wouldn't do that. But they did that. Because in their mind, technologically, they had reached a place where their haughtiness and their arrogance had arisen to the place where they thought that not even God could put this at the bottom of the ocean. And how many of you realize it sunk and it sat there for almost a century at the bottom of the ocean? We were unable to reach it. There's a parable there. And the parable is this. It doesn't matter what era we live in. It doesn't matter that we have the internet, it doesn't matter if we vote into office every Harvard graduate that they put out in recent days. And may I just say, that probably is the worst scenario. My point is this, we can feel arrogantly, we're smarter, sharper, we have more technology, We feel like we can insulate ourselves against whatever might come our way. And I'm here to tell you that God can provide whatever is necessary in order to get our attention. You are never insulated. Oh, no, no. God can reach you and he's slowly reaching America in these days. See, because the issue isn't let's get the economy going. The issue is we better get a renewal going. Because until men's hearts change, it doesn't matter what your economic system is. Till hearts change, it doesn't matter what new law you put on the book. Until hearts change. And that's why the most important organization on the face of the earth, hear me now, and I know you aren't affirmed, and I know no one else will say it, but I've always been known to say things no one else will say. The most important organization group on the face of the earth is the church of jesus christ we are salt and we are light and if there's no salt it will decay and if there's no light it will crash and the only thing that keeps america from barreling headlong into into anarchy The only thing that's keeping us where we are today, don't you for a minute think it's the governments of men. The only thing that's keeping America where it is today are the saints that show up and are interceding before God saying, God, spare this nation for yet another generation. And you won't make it on Fox News, nor will you make it on MSNBC. No newspaper will cover you. There'll be no media attention. But I'm telling you, it's the intercession of the saints in this hour. It's the only thing that's given this country half a chance. We are salt and we are the light. That is not to pound our chest. It is simply to say that's what Jesus said. He said if there wasn't salt and there wasn't light, things are going to spiral out of control now to be candid with you through the years And it's easy to do i've even done this myself, so i'm talking i'm talking to myself That we have taken the view instead of engagement and infiltration. We've taken the view of isolation Well, it's getting worse out there Guys, it's bad you know all of us have said you remember when you used to play in your own neighborhood and you could trust your neighbors and man you nowadays you got to check the website and find out if you got a sexual predator next door do you before you let your kids go wander around the neighborhood i mean it's just getting worse and worse and so you know we just we need to withdraw just withdraw to ourselves and, and I've had that view too, and, and, and there are moments, I, I, I do believe with our kids, I think there are reasons to give them moments of, of safety in order to prepare them, but you're not preparing them to stay behind the walls of the fort, you're preparing them in safety in order that they might be trained to engage. There's a difference. So isolation, I don't think, is an option any longer, and I think really it's becoming more and more impossible. You see, we're behind enemy lines. I'm just going to give you a wake-up call. You and I live behind enemy lines. We are in a hostile environment called the world. They aren't tripping over themselves all the time to hear the gospel. I'll just be honest with you, people don't trip over themselves to hear the gospel unless it's like what happened in Russia when their whole economic system collapsed and their rubles went from one ruble to a thousand rubles in a day. So in other words, what would have cost them $1 now costs them a $1,000. Think about that when you go to buy milk. Then you'll trip over to hear the gospel. But until that kind of pain shows up, most people aren't tripping themselves to hear the gospel. So we're in this hostile environment. And we either engage it or we'll be taken prisoner. In fact, Jesus said, if we don't engage as salt, that we are good for nothing. Now That's not me. That's Jesus. If the salt loses its flavor. You're not good for anything anymore. Can I just share this with you? If you think I'm tough, imagine hearing Jesus saying, if you don't stay salty, you're not good for anything. Oh yeah, you'd want Jesus as your pastor, huh? He said light was never meant to be hidden. So there's really no such thing as a stealth believer. There's really no such thing as a hidden Christian. But the big question I guess I face, and I think we all face, is then how do we engage? How do we impact? How do I personally become salt in light? That's the big question. I just want to give you a couple things as we're learning to become passionate inviters. Just a couple things I think that you can take with you this morning. Number one, you got to speak the language they understand. You got to speak the language they understand. Last week, I mentioned to you that we needed to learn how to indiscriminately sow seed. The sower went about sowing seed and he just started throwing seed everywhere he went. And so we've got to be seed sowers. And I told you how everyone has a testimony. Everyone has a word from Scripture. Maybe you don't have a hundred Scriptures memorized. You've got a story to tell. You've got something God's done in your life, and you can just begin to sow seed. And when you sow seed, you have to speak in the language that people understand. Sometimes, now I think we do a pretty good job here, but sometimes Christians, especially the Spirit-filled type, they talk like they're from another planet. Have you ever met someone that every third word is hallelujah? Go to the grocery store, praise the Lord. Go find some cornflakes, glory to God. Well, I know you're chuckling because you know why. It's just, if you, if, you know, somebody hearing that Nothing wrong with saying hallelujah. I like it. In fact, it's good to say hallelujah in the house of God and praise the Lord and amen. And of course, there's reasons for that in the house of God. But you're in a grocery store. That's usually not, you know, the first place you go, you know. I don't, I forgot my debit card, praise God. I... You know, or they begin to share their testimony and they say something like, well, the Holy Ghost justified me before the throne of grace through the blood of the Lamb. And began that initial work of sanctification so I might find my place in the body of Christ and one day be presented for my glorified body. Praise the Lord. <laughs> You're just going, well, that... now I want you to know as I wrote that, I thought that's true. It's true. But do you think that makes sense to ears that have lived in Babylon? There are sometimes decades when all they're asking is, I just want to get connected to God. How do I get connected to God? How will God help me make sense of my life and where I'm at? How do I fill this void? How do I how do I get back on the right track? You know, we've got to learn to just sort of distill it down to where they are. Because there is a culture, listen to me, there is a culture that is biblically illiterate. I have met people where I have used the word prayer. I said, you know, you probably need to pray and ask God just using the word prayer. And with sincerity and genuineness, they've looked at me and did not know they were adults, the concept of prayer. You don't get any more illiterate than that. What's prayer? So we're going to have to communicate in a way where we're going to have to believe God that uh, He will work through our story, or our message, or our testimony, and as we communicate, the Spirit of God will help anoint that in such a way that they will hear and their heart will receive, and not trust in our big words. Break it down. Find common ground. Appeal to their hunger, their thirstiness. Years ago, when Russia was open for the Gospel, and we would go hold events in Russia, we were always told by the translators, don't try to tell jokes. Because the jokes never translate from English into Russian, and they'll just stare at you. What was sad was you would say things, and they'd translate it, and then they'd laugh. And it was like, I guess I just told a joke, and I didn't know it. But they would tell us that, and then they would also say, don't get complicated. If you get too complicated, it's impossible for us to translate and for them to understand what it is you're trying to communicate. And so you would have to go, and especially when you were doing training, and you were trying to give them some depth of understanding, and you couldn't use doctrinal concepts or theological words that you were used to using, it became really challenging to find a way to communicate things that are important and true, but in a way that they could hear it. Now, you know, we can't you know, create new dictionaries for everybody here this morning, but you you need to just use what's at your disposal. And I just want to remind you of something that I've been reminded of in a personal way. Our culture is as polarized as it has ever been. People are ready for a fight at the drop of a hat. Things escalate from zero to 100 like that. I mean, I am amazed. Now, so I'm sort of built for a good fuss every now and then. Um, but having said that, uh, there are moments, even unintentionally, Uh, That I don't really want to get in a fuss, but I got myself in one. And and oftentimes it's because I haven't learned to communicate the language or in a way that begins to penetrate the culture with effectiveness rather than alienate the culture with a misunderstanding. And so, uh, again, you know, when you tell the truth and you do your best to tell it in as uncomplicated a way as possible, I will assure you, you're going to go ahead and alienate people anyway. But we ought to find a way that we'll let the truth alienate and not just let the way we do it alienate. I think there's a difference there. And so we got to speak the language, number one, they understand. Secondly, we need to use every means possible to engage them. This is an historical fact. Whenever there has been a technological upsurge, I believe this is God because God says that he's the one that releases knowledge in the earth. So whenever there's been a technological upsurge, It's a way for the gospel to be disseminated throughout the earth. You know that when the Romans built, you know, they were the first ones to ever build roads in their culture. They literally built roads from town to town. Roman roads, they were called. And they put bricks, and and it made traveling faster, safer, and easier. That technology actually was used by Paul to disseminate the gospels all over the known world at that particular time. Are you... So you can see that you understand that when the printing press was created by Gutenberg, he created the printing press, and of course the world probably saw it as a way to write books. What God did was He released the technology in order for us to print the Scriptures. And right after that was a Reformation that took place, which totally changed the face of Christianity. How I many of you know when when the Wright brothers uh, created uh, flight? That wasn't just to get people on business trips from here to Tokyo but that he created flight in order that missionaries might go to the unreached portions of the earth in order to disseminate the gospel. See, all of these technological upsurges aren't just for selfish monetary reasons. The radio was invented in order to disseminate the gospel. The TV was invented to disseminate the gospel. The internet was not created so men could stare at it for hours and their pornography could be shoved in that way for free. It was created to disseminate the gospel into all the earth, podcasts, live streams, social networks. We use every means possible in our life. Can they be corrupted and be used for evil? Certainly. Everything can be used for good or evil. You can jump in your car, drive yourself to a bar, get drunk, and kill somebody on the highway. Or you can jump in your car, get to church on time, hear the gospel, get your life right, and be a productive citizen. It's not the car's fault. It's the one who's driving it. It's what you're doing with it. So we use everything for the advantage of the gospel. And we're going to move into this more and more as a church. In fact, we're working on it. We're going to, you know, I'm not, we've talked television and stuff. I'm really not interested in television. What I am interested in is that YouTube thing. I think you can do some things on YouTube and live stream and do some things on the website. And I believe there are some ways you can crack a culture as God gives us technological ingenuity to begin to do that. But what does that mean for you? Let's just talk about you now. What does that mean for you? Well, let me suggest some things. For instance, when you walk your dog, Fifi may need to go to the bathroom, but your priority may mean that that will be a moment you can say hi to your neighbor and meet them and start a relationship, or a seed-sowing moment. Can the church say amen? When your kids are at a playground, it's not just to get them out of the house and out of your hair and for you to have a moment that you can breathe, but do you say hello and maybe try out a conversation for your seed-sowing moment? Waiting in line at a grocery store volunteering with your kids at school meeting people as you sit in the stands at a sporting event you've got to get the eyes of the kingdom you've got to understand that where you are and what's going on isn't just about you it is about you being used as a conduit through greater for greater kingdom purposes You've got to use everything at your disposal you're not here just to accumulate a bunch of stuff to give it to somebody who's going to sell it anyway i laugh at all the people that accumulate buildings and land and they give it to their kids and they all sell it off and you want to say well why did you spend so many years accumulating all that stuff when they were going to sell it anyway see doesn't that see how it just doesn't make sense so if your steps are ordered, as the Bible says, then you are where you are under the commission of God that something may happen at that moment for kingdom purpose. Use every means possible. Number three, got to bring your seed to them. You have to bring your seed to them, your testimony, your story. Whatever it is you're sowing, you got to bring it to them. Let, let me put it to you this way. When you cross over to them, bring the cross over to them did you get that I thought that was pretty tricky we're crossing to them bring the cross over to them there's always issues of timing I understand that you just can't automatically start sometimes a spiritual conversation with the person you met for the first time but you know what you can start a conversation so you can warm up to a moment be intentional in your kingdom purpose You know, we all want to be cool. We all want to be trendy, don't we? We all want to be accepted. Uh, We all want to be, uh, you know, thought of well. Um, But let me read something to you. I I heard this read the other day, and it just lit up in me. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, listen to this. This kind of made me chuckle. 2 Corinthians 2.14, it says, Now thanks be to God, who always, isn't that a great word? Always means always always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place now get that what that verse means it means that that God through you he says that wherever you are diffuses through you a fragrance and that fragrance is his knowledge in every place so wherever you go God's using you to be able to diffuse a fragrance of his knowledge. That's what he's saying. Verse 15, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Now this is great. Verse 16, To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Now this is what he's saying. He's saying when you diffuse this knowledge as a fragrance... Some people are going to go, wow, that smells great. Tell me more. I needed to hear this. That's just, that's just a wonderful, sweet, oh, I needed, boy, I needed to hear about the Lord. I needed to hear about what he could do. Oh. And he says that's how some will receive it. Now, he says this, some will do this. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to hear anything about that to them it will have a stench to it now we can talk about why that may or may not be but the the important point is that some will smell it and respond favorably and some will smell it and they won't respond favorably which is he says for we are not as so many peddling the word of god but as a sincerity but as from god we speak in the sight of god and christ he simply says we're going to do this we're going to diffuse this fragrance we're going to speak as we are standing before God, and we're going to let however it happens. Some people will go, I love this, and other people will smell it and go, I don't know about this. Have you ever, let me just ask you, have you ever been around somebody, and I, I want to be careful with this because, you know, I, you know, you can always offend somebody, but have you ever had to, like, sit close to somebody who, like, overused their cologne? I, there, there was a number of weeks ago, and it has nobody, n- nothing to do with anybody here. But they overuse their, I mean, I'm sure that was a nice smelling scent, but not when you use half a bottle. I mean, it was like, and you know, if you you hug them, it's like you smell like them for a month, you know, just kind of rubs off and, 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 uh, you know, they're just, and some of them have particular smells that will last a long time. I, I mean, you remember back in the days, guys, remember Brute? I think they still have, they still have Brute. Man, that stuff, that'll stick with you for a year, that stuff, man. You can throw that stuff on it, will stick with you for a year. I remember high karate, you remember that? They don't have that anymore, high karate. Some of you aren't too old. You're going, what are you talking about? I mean, there there was a cologne called high karate. And now Old Spice is making a comeback. You can be the dude on the horse, you know, if you use Old Spice. But you see, what's fragrant to one... May not be to another. It's, I don't know how it works in your house, guys, but when I go choose colognes, my wife has to go with me because she's the one that goes through the colognes. Why is that? Because number one is, I think I burned my smeller out. I don't think my smeller works quite right. But she's the one that smells it. Why? Because she's the one that has to s- smell it. Because you know what happens is when you spray yourself after a while, you become immune to it which is why people use a half a bottle of cologne, because they're probably just immune to it. But no one else is immune to it. We all know what's going on. And, and so, you know, she wants that to be fragrant to her. And what's fragrant to one may not be to another. You know, it's like knowing um, you walk into a kitchen and there's a great cook and they're cooking spaghetti and they put just enough garlic in the spaghetti you know, to make it smell so good. And you walk into that room. I know I'm working on you for lunch today, man. There are going to be people get Italian food today for lunch just because we've sowed that into your spirit. Um, but you smell that. And it's such a wonderful fragrance when you come home and, oh, it's spaghetti night. Oh, it's a wonderful smell. But let me tell you, you get up close to someone with garlic breath. That's the smell of death right there, the smell of death. See that, I'm, I'm saying that to you, is you got to bring your seed to them, but you got to understand the gospel is like that. Some will smell it as it's diffused from you with a sweet smell, and they'll want to know. And some will think you smell like a skunk, and they won't want anything to do with it. And all we can do then is share the story, thank them, and See, it smells like it smells for them. But we've got to bring the seed to them. And then lastly, number four, we have to live it as we tell it. We have to live it as we tell it. If to be salt and light is to recognize that things are decaying and getting darker, then we need to be sure we're not contributing to that dynamic. There will always be a strain of hypocrisy, I think, in every human being. There's nobody here this morning that can stand up and say that they're pure as the driven snow, there's no inconsistencies, you're, you're walking it out perfectly, you are a liar, and we need to cast that lying spirit out of you. There's nobody here that can do that, because we're human beings. Welcome to the human race. So there's going to be a strain of hypocrisy in every human being. And I know it's always interesting that when you're dealing with non-believers, the first thing they'll go to is, I don't go to church because of the hypocrites well dude let's say i don't know what you do for a business but but if i went to your business i guarantee you i'll find some hypocrites and maybe that ought to keep me from shopping at your store or shopping at your place or using you for whatever it is you know we're going to do listen the church has no corner market on hypocrisy i can take you to multiple markets that has tons of hypocrisy going in that. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that I'm validating hypocrisy. But we should do our very best to minimize that as best we know how. There's a difference between a struggling, sincere believer who is growing and maturing, and they get snagged along the way. I mean, I understand people people get snagged. They're immature uh, they may be innocent, they may be naive, they may not know. You know, there could be a number of things. And, and so people get snagged and they fall. Okay, these things happen. And, and you get up and you dust yourself off, you say your sorry, you ask for forgiveness, and you keep on walking. There's a difference between that kind of a person and a person who says they are a Christian, but blatantly practices their sins and lives consistently out of God's plan. And then they want to talk to you about Jesus. Do you think the world may be dark, but it ain't dumb? It figures things out. It sees. It knows. And so we've got to do our best if we're going to engage a culture. Listen to me. If we're going to infiltrate, then we've got to circumscribe our lives as best we know how and live in a way that's befitting the king and the gospel perfectly i suspect not i suspect if you want to put a magnifying glass and find something you can find something in anybody you want to find something in but you've got to learn and say lord in as much as it is possible i want to minimize that happening and if they're going to check me out to that degree then let them work real hard To find these kind of things in my life. And for those who are just convinced that they can live any way they want. And not worry about that. Can I ask a favor? Just be quiet for the rest of us. Do not do damage. I can't change that. I can't force you. But just think about that. Now. Where do we go from here? Just like last week. I'm going to give you your action plan. Number one. Here's your action plan. Let's do it. What do I need to get in order in my life before I start speaking up more? Come on, you've been called to diffuse a fragrance. You've been called to be salt and light. What do you need to do? Come on now. Let the Holy Spirit work on you. What do I need to do? What do I need to tighten up? What do I need to to start working at? Get in order in my life before I start speaking up more. Come on. Let's, let's, Let's just knock some of the inconsistencies that we know about out and let's just get ready to engage. Number two, what is my personal strategic plan to begin to find open doors to engage? What's your plan? Maybe you need to walk your dog more. What's your plan? Come on, develop a plan. Why don't, instead of waiting for me, and, I, and we're developing them even as we speak, but, but the church, before the church develops some magnificent outreach plan, That we have to drag people to come to anyway. How about we just say we're the outreach plan. And what will we do? What will you do? To strategically begin to find open doors. Because you know what? If we're all priests unto God. And we're all ministers. Then all of us. All of us. Have a portion of uh, engagement and infiltration in the world. What's your plan? Do you have a plan? Why don't you ask the Lord to give you a plan? Ask the Lord to give you one person that you can start visiting with, talking to. I I guarantee you, he'll give you somebody, all right? And then number three, what simple few sentences can I speak that will point people to Jesus? You don't have to be a theological expert. You don't have to be a doctrinal, you know, doctor. You You just have to have a story. If God's done something in your life, you've got something to share. And I guarantee you, there'll be a moment where our conversation will be Struck, and at that moment, you'll be able to slip that story in about what God did for you and watch how the Holy Spirit gives that story authority, and all of a sudden, it touches someone's heart. That's your action plan. If you'll do those three things, I believe God will let you see some amazing miracles take place in your life. And we'll end with this at Christmas time, there's a movie that wasn't very popular when it came out, but it's become a little more popular in the holiday season. It's called it's a Wonderful Life. With Jimmy Stewart, is there anybody that's never seen It's a Wonderful Life? Never seen It's a Wonderful Life? Well, you got to see it. Next Christmas, they play it 10,000 times. So you can find it. It's, a simple story is this. Jimmy Stewart's in a banking business. It's going bad. And, and they, they throw a false accusation out against him, and he just wants to kill himself. He wants to kill himself. And before he kills himself, an angel is sent to him that shows him what life would have been like if he had not been born. And so literally, he goes around this town, and he sees a town that has the same name of the town he grew up in, but everything's different, everything's changed. And the reason it's changed is because he was never born. He was never there. His brother, I think, had died because he was there to save his brother from falling through some ice. He wasn't there to help somebody out in a tough time. And so they ended up going down a path they shouldn't have gone down. And so he sees, he sees at least a dozen to a dozen and a half scenarios of things that have just fallen apart because he wasn't there in order to do that because it was as if he'd never been born. And then suddenly he comes out of whatever this is, this dream or this moment with the angel, and he realizes at that moment that while at, the, at that time... It felt like his life wasn't making a difference. His life actually was making an incredible difference. Listen, that's a, that's a gospel message there. If you pull the church out of the earth, you'd never, you would never imagine what this earth would look like without the people of God. Sometimes you don't feel like you're much, maybe in your family, in your family tree, at your workplace, at your school, wherever that may be. If I could somehow do what happened to Jimmy Stewart in that movie and pluck you out and show you what life would be like if you hadn't showed up, you would be amazed at what God does through you. Listen, we've been called to be salt. We've been called to be light. If we don't become that, the world doesn't have a chance. You understand? We aren't We aren't God's plan B. We're God's plan A, and it's the only plan he's got is you and me. So he's asking, can you please pass the salt? Will you stand with me?